HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Big Bad Chef John Currents. Welcome. Thanks, man. You guys scraped the bottom of the barrel, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, we're done. We've hit the whole spectrum. Ran the gamut. That's why we had to call you in. That's that's (laughs) bullshit. You, you, I mean, one, I'm holding a a gorgeous new book that you're nominated for, a James Beard Award, uh, Pickles, Pigs, and Whiskey your three favorite food groups. But w- what you have done in the South as far as a, a food revival or just making people aware of you know where food come from, what good food is, and how to share that with a community, I mean, I, I can't say enough about what you've done. So a big congratulations on, on that. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's an accolade in it of itself. Well, thanks. Thanks. It's, um, you know, this has uh, been a tremendous ride for me. Um, it's it's been a you know the last thirty years have been an, a really amazing time to um, be involved in in Southern food because we've sort of come from complete and total obscurity or you know comedy um, you know to a point where you know we've we've really been granted some credibility with with food and you know folks have taken a a good hard look at it and you know and really understand sort of how uh, important it is and how relevant it is to um, you know the story of food in the United States, and so to have been there and on that ride, you know, literally in the kitchen with Bill Neal thirty years ago, you know, to 
uh, you know, sort of holding hands with with guys like Lewis Osteen and Frank Stitt as a as a young man to you know walking on my own, and then you know, and now you know into the years where I'm going to need a walker, and you know, <laughs> and watching the guys who you know come to this and uh, you know are really really you know hitting the afterburner and 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 showing off. It's, uh, it's you, great. You said comedic. I, I want to kind of explore what that means. <clears throat> what what was Southern food looked? You know, how did it project itself thirty years ago? Um, well, I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it existed and, you know, it was, it was very much there, but, you know, the, the general perception, you know, was that it was just, it was fried and it was unhealthy and it was bad for you. And, you know, it just, it, it wasn't, you know, worth really giving a thought. And I think at the same time, though, you know, we weren't really looking hard at the, uh, you know, the history of regional food, you know, in the United States either. You know, we were, um, you know, chefs were, you know, were reaching back towards Western Europe more often than not. You know, you were seeing some guys, you know, sort of lean towards Asia. Um, but we were really sort of trying to, you know, sort of fiddle with the, with the grand cuisine and reference those things. And, you know, in the last three decades, you know, we really have started to look at, at regional food in the United States. And, you know, I mean, and not to, you know, to, 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 to put anyone else down, but uh, the South has got such an incredible history to it. And this food, um, you know, tells the story, um, you know, of that particular area of the country, which is the, you know, the agrarian just breadbasket of the country. And, you know, and, and has just dozens of these different um you know, ethnic communities and, and immigrant populations that settled there and created this insanely huge canon of food. So, um, you know, we're, we're looking at that there now. Folks have taken cue from that, and you're seeing it happen in Texas. You're seeing it happen in the Southwest and, you know, the Northeast. I mean, folks are really sort of looking more inward now than looking outward for uh, inspiration, I think. You put a flag in Oxford, Mississippi, but... Where were you born and raised, and what did you bring with you, even you know, to your restaurants there? Well, um, I was born and raised in in New Orleans, and so you know, I, I obviously you know you're you're born with a uh, a fork and knife and uh, you know and a and a, a double old fashioned glass in your hand um, when you you know you exit the birth canal. Um, so you know, food was a was a big part of life, and uh, my my. Families from the, the Carolinas and my mom's family were um, were, were were farmers, um, and so I, I spent a lot of time, you know, in the in the family garden in the summers with them. So you know, I I saw the you know the food of the sort of the Grand Creole French tradition in New Orleans, traditional French. Um, I saw the food of my you know my grandmother's Sunday supper table, which was sort of as patently deep South, uh, you know, as it gets, and then. You know, I also had the opportunity as a youngster to to live in Western Europe, um, in the UK, um, in the in the early seventies, and so uh, we traveled a lot. And I actually, you know, saw the you know the classic dishes of, of Western Europe, you know, in the places that uh, you know that they or- originated. And so, you know, I, I had a tremendous experience with food. Um, and, you know, and while I tell folks, it's, it's, you know, this sort of, it makes a great story for, you know, a chef in the making. And I never really had, uh, you know, any sort of grand desire or grand plan to, you know, to, to, to get into food, um, you know, sort of through my life. It just sort of happened. And, you know, when I ended up in Oxford um, in 92, I guess I'd been in the business for, you know, approaching, you know, eight or 10 years. And, 
I didn't have any business opening a restaurant. I mean, although, you know, there, there are not a lot of guys at, you know, 25, 26 years old that do have any business opening a restaurant, but I didn't have any idea what, you know, I was trying to express through my food or, or that I even was supposed to. And so, you know, when I arrived in Oxford, it was, it was very fortuitous because it was a town that needed something. Um, it didn't want too much, so I didn't have to overreach my abilities um, you know, as a, as a young chef. And so I really, you know, had the opportunity to grow up very slowly and very honestly. And, you know, my, you know, story matured sort of through those years as I, you know, began to understand, you know, what it was that, you know, was my passion and, and ultimately, you know, were the stories that I was trying to tell through my food. See, do do you remember that first menu at a city grocery in Oxford, Mississippi? Because I think it's really interesting that you have gumbo on the menu now. And even a Southerner would be like, What's Gumbo doing in Oxford? You know, you being a Louisiana boy, New Orleans, bring that over seemed like far reach. Well, <clears throat> you, you have to understand Mississippi is a uh, is is sort of a strange place because um, you know we we spend a lot of time sort of doing culinary archaeology. It's, Mississippi doesn't have you know a whole lot of uh, definable foodways and. Um, they they take a lot of cue, uh, you know, from the Gulf Coast and, and from New Orleans specifically, uh, and in Oxford, you know, particularly, which is three hundred and twenty five or fifty miles from New Orleans, uh, you see it. I, I think because there's a connection between you know New Orleans and the university, there's a lot of traffic going back and forth, and, and always has been. So you know the the food of New Orleans is not entirely out of place there, nor is it in you know in Memphis even another hour north of us. Um, you know, New Orleans food is, you know, no matter who you talk to or, you know, the reality is, is it's, it is an undeniable, you know, sort of force of nature. Um, and it, and it's wonderful food and, you know, and it's, it really, it's, you know, it, it is, um, you know, that when you talk about gumbo specifically, you know, that, that's one of those sort of incredible kind of peasant food dishes and it's everybody has their own recipe um you can put anything in it and it's entirely subject to interpretation and you know to the point where um you know there's a recipe in the book for a red beans and rice gumbo which um you know one of my very dearest friends and one of the smartest people in the world uh lolas eli um who wrote a book called smokestack lightning he was a tour manager for uh, Wynton Marsalis, uh, he wrote for Treme and the Times-Picayune in New Orleans, you know, just will absolutely slap me down, you know, to say, if it's got beans in it, it's not gumbo, period. <laughs> and I'm like, but that's a great thing about gumbo. It's all about interpretation. And so, um, so you know, I, I think, you know, you, you kind of have a difficult time trying to pull Mississippi, uh, you know, and New Orleans food apart. They just sort of coexist. And so that made it a very easy transition for me. Where's Dookie Chase? Uh, it's so deep in my heart that, um, I, I, and I don't want to share it. Um, you mean, uh, sort of where is it in its history or, you know, where's it located? Where, where is it located and why is Holy Thursday so important? Um, it, it, it is so important, uh, I mean, for, for one reason and one reason alone to me, and that is because, uh, Leah Chase is, is maybe the most divine spirit on the planet. Um, and I was just telling somebody the other night, and one of my, my, Leah is, for those who, who don't know, is, is the grand dame of, uh, of Creole cuisine in New Orleans. And her restaurant is, is one of the, I think, most important cultural, uh, institutions in the country. Um, you know, Leah is, is just this 
this personality that's that's almost you know beyond explanation. You know, I sort of equate her to the Pope, um, and and I don't mean that in you know in in sort of a, a, a comical way. I mean, her spirit is so huge. I, I was telling somebody recently that I was I was on my way to to New Orleans to meet Sean Brock, and um, Sean arrived a couple hours before me, and we were texting, and <clears throat> he was asking me what he should do for lunch, and I said. I'll tell you exactly what to do. You get your ass in a car and go straight over to uh, Dookie Chase and walk back in the kitchen. And Leah Chase is going to be sitting in a chair. And you go up to her and you take her hand and tell her that you're my friend and I sent you there. And she'll feed you some of the best fried chicken you've ever had. And I said, if you don't come away from just that handshake, uh, you know, a change man, there's something profoundly wrong with you. And uh, so I got off the plane and my phone was ringing and I picked it up and it was Sean. And he was going, dude, I cried. She hugged me and I cried. And and that's, you know, and that's not melodramatic. I mean, she's just that big a person. And, you know, and she's so importantly as I think about I was going to turn 92 this year, but I mean, she has been at the uh, the center of, you know, the the vortex of of race and politics in New Orleans. Um, you know, she has kept this this tradition of of uh of African American art and Creole food, you know, alive on that uh, that corner on Orleans Boulevard, and you know, it's it's really it's it's a very very important place, and and it's the place you know I think that everybody who is into food needs to visit, you know, at least once, and hopefully before she's gone. See, this is what I love is is that you have this reverence for somebody else to put that in the head note of a recipe, saying, "I have this gumbo." But what you really have to do is go to Dookie Chase on Holy Thursday, meet this woman, and and experience that. You know, it's it's similar to your role with Southern Foodways Alliance. You know, sitting on the board of directors, you care so much inherently about the people, the politics, you know, uh, the ethnicities, the race, the culture, that it's not just, you know, pickles, pigs, and whiskey. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's relationships, and I mean, and and that's the bottom line and you know i think there are a lot of folks who you know look at this uh you know sort of uh, body of, of of southern chefs and you know we're we're sort of suspect to, to to a lot of folks because you know this is an industry that you know and you go in some places and it's it's very cutthroat and it's competitive and you know there the the relationships you know exist in a in a very different sort of way they're competitive for us you know we truly love one another, I mean, and, and respect one another. And, you know, it's like I tell folks all the time, you know, I love to hate Mike Lotta. He makes the most divine uh, chicken liver mousse that, that you'll, or chicken liver pate that you'll ever have in, in your entire life. And it's one of those things that everybody throws their guns down, you know, when it comes to trying to recreate it or do something like it. It's like Mike's done that. He owns it. Nobody else will touch it. But if you ask him about it, he'll walk you through the process. He'll give you the recipe. He'll come into the kitchen with you and show you exactly how he does it. It's like we don't have these crazy secrets from one another. Um, you know, we want to share. You know, to me, you know, the, the greatest thing in the world is, you know, is, uh, you know, Mike, and I don't have to go, continue to go back to Mike, but I mean, we were in Atlanta and, uh, and, and doing a, a meal a couple of years ago, and uh, I was you know, sort of getting my course together. And, uh, and he came over and stuck his finger in the pot and then went over and got his sous chef, Jason, by the ear and came over and said, that's what oxtail ought to taste like. 
every time it gets made. That's I, I want that recipe. And you know, and to me, that's not one of those things. It's like you know, I, my response is like, <laughs> I've got it figured out now. And you know, and I have a great secret. You know, it's like that's the most flattering thing in the world that can happen to a guy. And I, you know, and and you know, and I want to share with him. And so, you know, we we have a great time together. Um, you know, we, you know, it's not that, you know, that, the that all of the relationships are without complication, but, um, you know, there is this great, healthy, wonderful respect for one another and joy of being together. And so we, we have a, you know, sort of a, I think a different relationship and, you know, and, and we try to, you know, to, to foster that and, and, uh, you know, and, and folks and, you know, and I hope it follows suit because, you know, food is so much about sharing and about relationships and joy. And so, you know, that just carries through for us. See, it's even more flattering that you're here today, willing to share that with us. On top of it, sharing your recipes in pickles, pigs, and whiskey. We're going to take a quick break. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. White Oak Pastures is the only farm in the United States that has its own USDA-inspected red meat abattoir or slaughterhouse and its own USDA-inspected poultry abattoir or slaughterhouse. We partner with Whole Foods to deliver our high-quality meat and poultry from Miami, Florida, all the way to Princeton, New Jersey. One family, one farm, five generations, 145 years. A full circle return to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship. For more information, please visit our website, whiteoakpastures.com. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Michael Harlan Turkel here with John Currents. Let's just talk about music since that's what we were kind of talking about during the break. You walked in, and what were they blasting on the radio? The jam, man. Paul Weller was right in my left ear when I came in. It was awesome. I think it's such an important thing to note that in this cookbook itself, to, to appropriately you know, uh, make these recipes, you have to have a drink made. And in hand. At least one. At least one. And you have to have the music on. Yeah, I, I just, uh, those things, they, they go so incredibly well together. And, you know, to me, they, they don't, they don't come apart. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, you know, that I, you know, I do have close friends that, you know, their kitchens are dead silent. It's, you know, it's very serious and, you know, and I don't, I don't hold that against John Besh. Um, <laughs> I, but I don't understand it. Um, you know, to me, it's like, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, um, ride the lightning, you know, at full volume. Um, you know, it can be, you know, a, a Mozart or Bach or, um, you know, it can be Burt Bacharach. Um, that, that there's just something about these two things that are, that are so intertwined. And, you know, and I was talking to the guys in, in Sugarland last week. Um, yeah, and that was a name drop, by the way. Um, 
uh, I, I did an event with them, and they, I did had no idea who they are because I'm like a hundred now, and 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 so all of a sudden these guys are playing this event, and and it turns out they're a big deal, and they're really swell guys on top of everything else. But we were talking about the, you know, that how the 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 creative is you know sort of universal, and that you know songs themselves you know because they have words you know do obviously tell a story, and that. You know, so so music is is very much a you know a personal expression and and storytelling, but you know food is in very much the same way. And it's you know, and I know it sounds kind of odd to say, but you know when we create um, and when it becomes a you know a very natural process. I mean, you know, dishes that that you come up with, you know, you are sharing a part of your life. There's a reason that you you know that you put these ingredients together, and whether it's you know sort of referencing a dish that your mom or grandmother made or you know, something that you enjoyed somewhere that you're trying to take something and experience in your life and share that with the, the person who's eating it, whether it's at your house or, you know, as a chef in a, in a, in a restaurant. And so that, you know, these, these two things are, are really woven together in that way. I mean, was there music being played in your mother's and your grandmother's kitchen while, while, you know, food was on the stove? Um, yeah, I think there, you know, there always was. I mean, I, I, I remember, you know, my grandmother's house, the, uh, um, you know, as a, as a real youngster, I remember my grandfather playing, um, Johnny Cash, you know, live from Folsom prison. Um, you know, that, that really, you know, is one that jumps out in my head. You know, my mom was a, was a big Moody Blues fan. And so I remember Darkness on the Threshold of a Dream and, um, you know, the, the early Beatles records, um, with, uh, Cat Stevens was, uh, you know, sort of on, uh, when, uh, when we were in the kitchen with mom, but, you know, these are, are the things that just like, they jump out, uh, you know, for me, but, um, yeah, I mean, just, I don't remember a time when there wasn't, you know, music with, with food. And so the, the playlist that, you know, that I created to go along, um, with the, with the recipes in the book was, you know, it's really total kitsch, um, you know, I won't, you know, lie for a second. And and part of it was really sort of meant to be in, you know, an irreverent th- kind of thumb in the eye to, you know, these, these cookbooks that I remember as a youngster coming up with and looking at. And, you know, each one had a wine paired with each, you know, especially out and procure your 64 Obreon. And, you know, to me, it, it, it I felt like it seemed a little pretentious and, you know, and I feel, I kind of feel like a dick now because, <laughs> um, you know, there are, I do have, you know, several friends who really do care about wine or have sommeliers that, you know, they've included in their books to, um, you know, but I mean, if you look at that book, it's like if I'd paired wines with the recipes in there, you know, I'd have been run out of town. It's, you know, it would have been a joke. So, um, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, to, to pair music. And so folks ask me all the time, sort of like, what, what's the connection with each song and each recipe? And, um, you know, it's, it's not, um, you know, any sort of demonic code or, you know, there's no reason. Like you can't play it backwards and figure out some secret <laughs> recipe. <laughs> it's a cryptex, yeah. you know, it's, I, I know where the Holy Grail is. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, let's go through, it doesn't have to be specific recipe by recipe, song by song. But I mean, when, when you make your steamed syrup braised pork belly, what do you want to be listening to? Or is there music that inspires you to make that dish? Um, you know, it's uh, it, music and, and mood is sort of entirely momentary. Um, you know, to me, you know, cooking really is, uh, you know, a, a joyful pastime. 
And, you know, and I don't just say that because it's what I do for a living and, you know, and what have you, or it, it sounds good. I mean, I just, I truly enjoy it. I mean, you know, I, th there's, there's nothing in the world that I, you know, that I quite love, like, you know, making dinner for my wife, um, you know, and, and not just because I literally, I can't make anything that, that she doesn't like unless I pick an ingredient that she just patently detests. Um, but you know, I, I think it's because I'm, you know, I'm such a sort of weird self-loathing Catholic that, you know, that the immediate gratification that you get from sharing something with someone that they like is, you know, is, is very satisfying and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's validating. And, and, uh, you know, for me, it's like, I, I enjoy the process. I don't see it as work. I mean, it's, it's not every day is easy, um, you know, by any means, but, you know, I just don't look at it as work. I, you know, I look at it as, you know, it's fun. I enjoy the process. I, you know, I enjoy the end result. Um, you know, it's, it's harder now, you know, working that shit off, you know, than it was <laughs> when I was 25, but, uh, you know, I, you know, I love it. Yeah. I mean, but you also say that healthy living, you know, is not about cutting out fried chicken. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the sexiest diet in the world is one that, you know, they'll they'll never publish a book on. Uh, I mean, the, or I shouldn't say the sexiest, the, you know, the the most honest diet is the one that they'll they'll never write a book on and it's called moderation. It's just that simple. I mean, you know, we we need to exercise more. You know, we are more we're getting more and more sedentary all the time. Um, you know, and I I say that, uh, you know, living in a college town, you know, they're there's lots of exercise. I was I was really amazed in in Austin uh, last week to see you know just how many people are out at you know it's seven in the morning on the streets running and walking and so you know I think we're you know we are definitely moving in and you know hopefully in, a, in another direction but you know you you shouldn't have to deny yourself things um, you know in, in order to you know to to live well you know it's you know life is and relationships are all compromise and so. You know, if you're going to eat well, you've got to pay for it on the other end. So and why would you so. deny yourself pimento cheese, hush puppies, barbecue shrimp, quail and waffle? I mean, it's ridiculous to not have that a part of your life. Do you realize how cool this is? I mean, to sit here and just throw those things around, and we're so close to that pizza oven in there. And I know how good what <laughs> it's, comes it's out of it is. Yeah. It's, it's kind of cruel. Yeah, because the wetter the mouth, the more salivation, the better you sound on air. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean... Talk about that food, but talk about doing everything right and from scratch. I, I love that you, you, again, have an ode to somebody else, Duke's mayonnaise, and how good that mayonnaise is. But you offer a recipe as well, still citing that Duke's may have some kind of drugs in it. <laughs> I haven't been contacted by their lawyers yet, but <laughs> I also haven't gotten a chuckle out of them uh, over that either, but... Yeah, you know, I, I think um, one of the things that, uh, you know, as, as we progress down the road that, you know, that I, I really got more and more serious about doing, and it, and it really perplexes my guys, it's like when there is something, you know, that I will sort of expound upon, you know, how wonderful it is, um, like Tabasco hot sauce. But then immediately, you know, we're, you know, we're sourcing fresh Tabasco peppers and trying to make our own. They're like, well, why, if you like this stuff so much, do you, do you want to, do you want to make it? And, you know, and, and my, I guess my, you know, my, there, there's a sort of a running joke around our house when I was a kid that, um, you know, my folks, my folks used to like keep a stopwatch on me on Christmas morning so that, you know, they could time how long it was between when I would, 
uh, open a present to when I got a screwdriver or a butter knife out and started taking it apart to see how it worked. And so I've, I've always been fascinated with trying to, you know, to recreate things. And, uh, you know, because there's, again, there's a, you know, there's a story to that where, you know, Tabasco is great. But ordering it off of the truck and having it delivered and putting it on the table is, is, is one thing. And there's no story that goes along with that other than the history of that bottle. You know, but being able to say, okay, we really like that, but we wanted to try to do it ourselves and approximate something. And we'll never recreate Tabasco, but we now make, you know, a dozen different kinds of hot sauce as a result of our interest in the fermentation process and, you know, sourcing different peppers. And so we have all these different options and different stories to tell that go along with them. Yeah, I, I feel like it's not one of those like, oh, I, I do it because I, I do everything DIY. It's part of that break, too, from that almost French cuisine tradition of you do something this way, you know, this is how you make a Mornay. This is, and you never really experimented. You didn't have your own cooking language and trying to deconstruct or reconstruct Tabasco is saying, well, that company has been around for what? A hundred years at least. Oh yeah. Easily way longer. Why can't we, you know, fuck around with it a little bit? Why, why can't we change things and see if we can make it better? And maybe we can't, but at least try. Yeah, and I mean, it's just, it's all about, I think, you know, ultimately a, uh, a greater respect for, you know, that thing that you use. I mean, if you if you sit there and, you know, rather than just, you know, buy it from the store and put it on the table, you know, you're actually taking it apart and seeing what it is and, you know, and recreating it with ingredients that are your own and have a terroir that is, you know, that is, you know, is, is relevant and, and, you know, and has story behind it, then... You know, again, there's there's uh, there's a better story to tell, and you can charge more for it. <laughs> Let's talk about catfish because I think it's in the same vein. It, it's something that is widely you know misunderstood in, in the states, but you kind of you know put it on a pedestal. You think you think it's a great ingredient. Why and what should people be doing with catfish that they don't do already? Well, you know, we're we're fortunate because, you know, of by virtue of our, you know, geographic location, we can we can get our hands on, you know, on catfish straight out of the pond. Um you know, the the process of of farm raising catfish is is something that is, you know, continued to evolve and improve, you know, over, you know, the last 50 or or 60 years and, you know, um, you know, catfish is a, you know, is an, you know, is a is a sustainable, um, you know, ingredient or protein from, uh, you know, where we're from that, you know, I'm an advocate of, you know, making as, as much use of, you know, anything that is, you know, as, as local as that is to us. Um, you know, it is misunderstood because, you know, just like everything else, you know, where I, I'm really sort of at the end of the generation of guys that, you know, still sort of, you know, struggle with seafood and, you know, and eating seafood, you know, at inland locations. Because when I was a kid, you know, you know, freezing, you ate seafood when you went to the beach. Because the, you know, the freezing techniques were, were, were crude. And, you know, there was a lot of spoilage, there was a lot of, of freezer burn, you know, frozen stuff was, you know, it's not treated the way that it is now. And, so just there wasn't a quality to it, um, you know, that, that there is today. And, you know, now it's, it, it's totally sci-fi. Um, you know, you can, you know, you can have a, 
you know, a, a piece of tuna that's six months old that, you know, that you're, you're cutting into sashimi, um, you know, if it's, you know, hit with liquid nitrogen and frozen properly and slacked properly. And, you know, most folks are never going to know the difference between that and fresh. And, you know, and maybe I'm stretching a little bit, but, you know, the, the you know, the point is, is it's, you know, it's a different ball game now. Um, catfish is, uh, is, you know, is something that, you 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 can get here that you know in in New York that's you know as as good as as you'll get you know in in Mississippi and it's just an ingredient that has a stigma about it just like lard just like you know any number of things that we could talk about that's that's totally unfounded and that you know when you you know open yourself to it and you play with it and it's like all of a sudden it's you know it's this thing that you know you you didn't realize was there and you know and it's fun and you know and right now you know more importantly than anything else is it's inexpensive. And, you know, we're, we're seeing a sort of a gross spike in the cost of proteins now across the board for any number of reasons. I mean, beef is up, pork is up dramatically, and Smithfield's been sold, and, you know, we're pretty sure we're never going to see, you know, $1 a pound pork ever again, um, which is something that's, you know, it's a little bit frightening if, you know, you're, you're dealing this with the, the, the volume that, that we are. Um, so, you know, finding these things that are worth celebrating that, uh, you know, are cost friendly is, you know, is important. You talk about costs and I kind of want to be honest about those costs because as much as a restaurant is a business, you also have one that is in the business of being a nonprofit and the importance of giving back, you know, as, as a restaurant tour, as someone that is, you know, a figure of the community and of, you know, the Southern world, how important is it to have some place like Lamar Lounge, and what do you do? Well, um, you know, this is—it's funny. My, uh, I, this is nothing that you know was anybody ever sat me down and you know and said, "Well, this is the way that it is." It's—it it has just always been, a, you know, a part of my you know personal belief system that, um, and, and maybe it has to do with you know the studying philosophy in college or, you know, what have you, you know, I I love my liberal arts education, but it's, you know, it's made me very sensitive. (laughs) Um, It's it's good to see a chef that can emote. (laughs) I, uh, I, I've just always felt like, you know, that there was an, you know, an, just an inherent responsibility uh, that I had to, you know, give back to the community that I'm lucky enough to, to make a living from. I mean, we, we do our best to take care of our people. Um, I mean, on on paper, you know, I, I am a train wreck. I, my accountant just can't figure me out um, because, you know, they're, they're in the business of, you know, sort of securing the bottom line as much as possible, and I'm just sort of willy-nilly. Like, I don't care as long as I can buy diapers and, you know, get my wife a pair of shoes and, you know, we can keep the air conditioner running in the summer. You know, I kind of don't care as long as my people are taken care of, you know, that uh, the folks in the community know that, you know, that we're there to participate, you know, you know, otherwise you just like look like these, you know, opportunist robber barons that are, you know, there to just sort of fleece folks. Um, and I think that's sort of particularly true, you know, or, or germane to, you know, to our business, which is about nourishing, you know, we're, we're nourishing the community. So, um, you know, I, I think the uh the the inspiration for Lamar Lounge um the the philosophical you know is is entirely the uh the result of my very dear friend Ashley Christensen who is is one of the the greatest people in the entire world she has um a, a 
pile of restaurants in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, and is one of the most talented people that I know. And we decided over about 10 gallons of bourbon um, last summer while we were up here, actually, that we wanted to do this barbecue project together. Um, we had the opportunity to, to get our hands, or I had the opportunity to get my hands on on the Lamar Lounge in Oxford. I had always wanted to do uh, an excuse to do barbecue. And there was an opportunity to do that, and we could do it together, but use this, you know, the space and the, the money that we earned from it to give back entirely um, at the end of the year to a charity. And we we could never uh, make it work where, you know, she's in North Carolina, I'm in Mississippi, that, you know, we were going to make this barbecue thing work together. But it was really, you know, the, the brainchild of, you know, of Ashley and Bourbon and me um, in Midtown. Um, so, you know, we, we do operate this thing now as a not-for-profit, um, you know, at the end of the year. Uh, you know, we, we at the beginning of the year, we'll select a charity. Um, hopefully, you know, we'll continue to do something that involves uh, children and nutrition. Um, and at the end of the year, you know, we'll take whatever's left over and, uh, you know, that we've, that we've earned. And that goes wadded up in a in an envelope to whoever it is that we've decided to give it to and and it feels good and you know the the folks who you know patronize the restaurant you know can feel good about the fact that you know they're contributing to something um you know and it's and it's fun because the place really has this you know this this really kind of crazy good spirit to it it's not the kind of thing that we wear on our sleeves it's not plastered on the side of the building it's not written on the menu anywhere it just is, and it and it feels good, and it's a it's a nice place, and it's a lot of fun, and it has a really cool bar that used to belong to Eddie Fisher. Can you believe that all this came from learning how to make a roux, slathering, pickling, brining, all these techniques that you have in this cookbook? That that from that foundation, you're able to give back and celebrate, you know, food traditions, community, and music. Yeah, I, I mean, no doubt, it's just this is it's all about passion, you know, and, and that's where, you know, I think, you know, all the arts and I, and I, I'm hesitant to talk about food as an art, um, you know, but it is, um, you know, but that's, th- that's where, you know, I think great things happen is, you know, as a result of, you know, of those passions and, and, uh, and that's what this is for me. And that's, you know, sort of why this vulgar little book you're holding is, you know, <laughs> has, has come out the way that it has. Because that's, that's me. Um, you know, that's entirely me in that book. And, um, you know, and it's, and it's taken, you know, 30 years to arrive there. But, uh, you know, that's, that is sort of my heart and soul in 150 recipes in that book. Pickles, pigs, and whiskey. John Currens, thank you so much for being on Heritage. Thanks, brother. Uh, you've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.